And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Everyone to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're going to be previewing the U.S. men's national team's upcoming friendly with Jamaica. To help me with that, I've got a man who always pays his players what they want when they want. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Taylor. I am a benevolent distributor of finances. I am also <laughs> the dictator of Portugal. Man, what don't I do around here? And you're Pepper Joe as well. Uh, so you, you've got a lot of different titles. But benevolent distributor of finances, I'm writing that down so I can make sure to add it to your list. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I like that you are eventually going to have like a Thanos-esque number of, of titles that follow you. Or Khaleesi. Khaleesi is another good one where it's Breaker <laughs> of Chains and Mother of Dragons and all that. Joe will have all of those many, many titles. Is there one that you value more than others, Joe? Or do we still have yet to find your your preferred one? I mean, Dictator of, of Porto is really hard to top. It, it has a special place in my heart that I just don't think any of these other ones will quite be able to reach. But I'm not saying that I don't want to continue to amassing titles because I, I really do. I look forward to uh, filming the short where Joe goes to Porto and just walks around asking people if they're aware that he's the Dictator of Porto. And we see how it goes. I don't know how your Portuguese is, Joe. It's not great. But uh, if we can book that trip for a couple years down the line, I'll have time to work on it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, not a couple years down the line. In fact, this <laughs> Thursday, the United States uh, will be playing Jamaica. That game is, I believe, at 1 p.m. Eastern uh, on ESPN2, Unimas, TUDNA, and Fubo TV. Uh, I, I say 1 p.m. It's ESPN, so they're usually pretty dead on. It's not the Fox uh, coverage starting at 1. Uh, at least, I don't think it is. Uh, Joe, we're going to be talking about the U.S. a little bit later, uh, but I figured it made sense to start with their opponents uh, Jamaica, who I want to kind of start from a broader perspective and get into some of the more specifics. But this is a relatively weak Jamaica team for a number of different reasons. And maybe this will be better later on in the show, but I kind of want to address it up front. It seems like people are already looking at this game as like, ah, we're not playing very strong opposition. It doesn't really matter. And that seems to be a recurring thing with the U.S. national team in the last well, I shouldn't say year, but in their most recent friendlies, it tends to be, ah, oh, they're not playing the best teams. They're not playing even the A-plus teams of some of these squads that they are going up against. So what are we really learning from this? And I think the answer is they're getting a lot of reps and learning how to play together as a team. So even if it's not the strongest Jamaica, I still feel like this is a fixture that I'm excited for and a game that I, I have a lot I'm excited to see and a lot of questions that I'm hoping we get answers to. The U.S. is going to get reps, and that's a great thing. I appreciate that you highlighted that. But this game, this game could have been against a top quality Jamaica, who's doing a lot true. of interesting things to recruit players and to bring in dual nationals, which we're going to talk about. But it's not. And that's not United States, you know, soccer federation's fault. That's not USSF's fault. They have no control over who Jamaica is able to bring in. 
So in another timeline, this could have been a yes. a really strong Jamaica opponent that is probably stronger or could be stronger than it's ever been before. So that's number one. But also, I just want to highlight there are so few high-quality international opponents available in this March window because yep. there's a lot of competitions happening. I mean, I, I, I haven't looked – at this, and I don't have this in my notes, but if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, there are a bunch of European games or World Cup qualifiers happening over in Europe. There are games happening on other continents with other federations as well. This is not an easy time for the U.S., who's not entering World Cup qualifying, to get an elite international opponent. Jamaica, really, again, they could have been very, very good based on the players that yep. they, they have in their pool, but that's just not how the chips fell. And, and honestly, that's okay. It is what it is. Yeah. So maybe we can talk about what we then hope to see from the United States and what we hope they get out of this game. But let's talk a little bit about why that uh, Jamaica team isn't as strong as it could be, because I'm with you that there are names there, uh, both playing in Major League Soccer and abroad. Uh, Mikel Antonio uh, recently declaring that he will represent Jamaica. So I, I think like th- this could be a super strong team, but there are varying reasons for why it's not. Joe, where should we start? What's one of the reasons why Jamaica maybe aren't as strong as they could be? <laughs> oh, man. So let's just start with the contract dispute happening sure. right now. So I'm going to try to lay the groundwork. Taylor, I'll let you mm-hmm. fill in the gaps as needed because there definitely will be some because there's a lot of ground to cover here. Yes, but, there is. Uh, there's, there are a lot of different reports around what's happening right now between the Jamaican players and, and the national team players on the men's side and the Jamaican Football Federation. So from Loop, which is a Jamaican news outlet, uh, they reported that five regular members of the side, including captain and goalkeeper Andre Blake, have rejected the contract offered by the Jamaican Football Federation. So the long and short of it, as I understand things, is players want X amount of money. I've seen different numbers mm-hmm. put out for different levels of competition. So for World Cup qualifiers, they might want five, six, seven thousand dollars per game. For friendlies, they might want less. For Nations League, it can be whatever. You get the idea. So players yep. want a certain amount of money, and the Federation is either unwilling or unable to pay them. And it's a little bit unclear on my end, at least, which one of those it is. But regardless, there's this disconnect. There's this gap between what the players want and what the Federation can provide and as a result, or is willing to provide, I should say. And as a result, that means that players like Andre Blake, players like Kamar Lawrence, uh, players like Damian Lowe, who are more regular members of this side and I think would upgrade this team, or at least Lawrence and Blake certainly would, would upgrade this Jamaica roster. That means that those players are not in this camp because they're in the middle of a labor dispute. As you said, Joe, it's it's five names. The two who I think like definitely are are not there because of that would be Damian Lowe and Andre Blake. The other three that I came up with, uh, uh, two of whom you already named, or at least one you did, Kamar Lawrence would be one, Alvis Powell. And then I don't know the situation with Leon Bailey. I know he's not called in. I don't know if that's because he's not happy with the terms or if it's because uh, Germany has different protocols or he just didn't want to leave. Have you heard much about Leon Bailey and why he's not there? I was trying to research it. I saw someone mm-hmm. say he was injured. I looked into that. I don't believe he has really had any significant recent injuries. So I've just sort of looped him into the group of of players that aren't here. And I guess we don't really know why, because like we said, there's so much going on. This could be COVID related. This could be a German Bundesliga restriction. We've seen some of that with the US side. It's it's harder for those guys to travel even to Austria. So, I mean, it could be a number of different reasons. But again, the long and short of it is no Leon Bailey, no Andre Blake, no Lawrence. I mean, no a bunch of these Jamaican players. 
Exactly. Yeah. And as you said, it is uh, disputes over the financial terms for different games. This is not a new thing. This happened last January in January of 2020. Uh, I tweeted this earlier, but that's when there were negotiations between Captain Damien Lowe and officials with the Jamaican Federation that were leaked. Those conversations were and it really did make me appreciate the collective bargaining agreements that are prevalent in the U.S., which is not a thing I thought I would ever say. <laughs> but having to hear the a national team captain negotiate terms and argue with people who are very mad at him personally. I think at one point he says, like, guys, this is negotiation. Like, why are you so frustrated? But it was really eye-opening just how much animosity there was, how much frustration there was that they wanted 2,000 instead of 1,500 for certain players. Like, that did not seem to be such a massive issue, and the way the response was just so pointed and so aggressive stood out to me. And then it's gone from there. The Jamaican women's team had problems with financing and and. Potentially, I think, threatened to sit out games if they weren't uh, finally fairly compensated, which I think they roughly were. And now we have it again here with, with, as Joe said, disputes over, I think, payments for the next two years because their their next deal is supposed to cover World Cup qualifying and the Gold Cup and then friendlies as well. And it still seems like the two sides are very far apart, even in terms of classifying where they are. The, the Jamaican FA still says, oh, they asked to postpone the like talks like to hold them off until a later date whereas the players are saying like no we have refused to sign we're not playing it does seem like them not being here with this team is a sign that maybe they're definitely holding firm to their resolve and not representing uh, the national team so instead we have uh, Theodore Whitmore trying to figure things out on the fly. Uh, and that does also, I think, lead a little bit to why we're not having uh, other players in there as well. Joe, how much did you see about their sort of travel uh, accommodation issues? I didn't see much about that. Tell okay. me. Okay. All right. So as I understand it, they had to initially they got visas. This is my understanding that they had like certain players had been approved for visas to go to Austria where the game is being played. They did not realize that I think they had to get those visas signed off or they had to get certain other things uh, in order before they could travel, which meant they had to fly to Washington, to the uh, Austrian embassy to get things sorted. Then I think they went to New York where they flew from New York to Austria. What that then required, though, was uh, their players to be able to get American visas. Three players could not. So three players that would have come from uh, the like a Jamaica domestic based side ended up staying in Jamaica. So they would have been with the team. That's why they only have, I think, 20 players in the roster, or maybe 19. Even that is a little bit confusing as to who is officially in there and who isn't. But I think it would have been closer to the standard 23 if those players had been able to go. Uh, but they were not. So Jamaica will sort of make do with a combination squad of domestic players and uh, players from abroad. Yeah, and then Jamaica get to Austria, and they have COVID-19 problems. They get Here we to go. Austria, yep. they have two positive COVID tests. And then according to Sportsmax, the two players in the Reggae Boys delegation who tested positive for COVID-19 initially, then tested negative. However, two other players, including one mm-hmm. who is based in England, have tested positive and have been isolated 48 hours before they face off against the United States in an international friendly. So from that, I'm not sure if those players are... I mean, I don't know what happened with the first test. I don't know yeah. if it's possible that the second round of tests are also false positives. Just in general, there's this giant cloud of ridiculous uncertainty. It's almost, it's almost comical at a certain point, but it's, it's not, it's not really funny. It's just totally, totally absurd. 
Yeah, let's let's drill down into that absurdity for a moment, because uh, to your point, Joe, with those players now in quarantine awaiting the second test, you're getting even less time with the entire team training together. And that was, I think, a source of frustration with the unplanned uh, trip or like the extended trip in the United States was that it cut into the training time they would have had already. You don't have everybody together. And even when you do, you still have uh, covid issues making the numbers that you're getting in camp sort of uh, intermittent at best. And that roster itself is just confusing off the bat. I think only eight players have played for Jamaica before. Of those eight, only three have double-digit appearances. So, again, a very new team. Uh, nine of the 20 are from the Jamaican National Premier League, which has not resumed since COVID uh, forced the shutdown of that league. Three of their five midfielders, two of their four attackers, all three goalkeepers are uh, from the Jamaican League, so there's not going to be a ton of match fitness, a ton of experience. And again, training very much cutting into that and the lack of training, I think, won't help them be as physically capable as maybe up to speed as some of the American players I'm assuming will be. At the same time, there's this group of players that are playing right now, but are new mm-hmm. to the Jamaican national team. So you've got all these England born players. And that's been a big focus of the Jamaican Football Federation recently is trying to recruit a bunch of players with Jamaican heritage that are eligible for Jamaica. But that play in England, either in the Premier League or more often in the champion, uh, in the English Championship. I almost said Champions League. That's, mm-hmm. that's wrong. In the Championship, <laughs> they're in England. And so give it time. This, give it this, time. This, this roster that Whitmore has brought in has six or seven, depending on what roster you're reading. It's absurd. Yep. <laughs> the roster has, has a bunch of first time players and then six or seven of which are, are born in England and have never mm-hmm. played for this Jamaican team before. So you've got, on one hand, all these players back in Jamaica who play there, usually, that aren't playing right now, but have played with the Jamaican national team before. And then on the other hand, you have these players that are born in England with Jamaican heritage that are going to be playing for the national team in Jamaica heading, you know, going forward, but have never played for the national team before, but are playing for their clubs. It's this weird mishmash selection of players that Jamaica's having to rely on. And a lot of the guys that they have, especially a lot of the England-born players, are are talented players. You've got Andre Gray for Watford. You've got Jamal Lowe, who plays for Swansea City. You and I, Taylor, talked about Lowe when Jordan Morris first moved there as being kind of his biggest competitor for playing time. He's a guy that's going to cause the U.S. real problems in this game. I assume he and Gray are both going to start. They're the two players that I have highlighted in that roster as players to watch. There's real talent in this squad, especially on the defensive side, and then the forward line with Lowe and Gray, and then the defensive side with a number of guys that have either never played for Jamaica before or a couple of those double-digit cappers, like Michael Hector, who has been a regular starter for Jamaica in the past at center back. He plays at Fulham with Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson. It's this bizarre combination of players that we we can see what Jamaica's trying to do from a recruitment standpoint. That's been huge. You talked about Mikel Antonio already. But then again, you can also see just this ridiculous spot that they're in as a federation and, and the ridiculous spot that the players are in right now between the dispute labor-wise, between COVID-19, between travel. All of these things are are just bonkers. And Joe, as, as you said, like there's even some confusion as to who is in the roster on the squad. I think the the player that we weren't sure about was Casey Palmer. I had him in there. I'm not sure you did. Uh, and so I bring that up just to say, like, grain of salt with my next question I'm going to ask you. Did you get a sense at all for how this recruitment has occurred or sort of what the campaign has been? Because for the U.S., it feels like we do have lots of scouts, lots of people with contacts, with connections. Greg Berhalter is making phone calls. It feels like it's sort of an organized 
slash chaotic uh, approach to it, but it does feel like it's a thing where there are always eyes on potential dual nationals. I don't know if the, sa- the same thing is true for Jamaica because of all the dysfunction we've already talked about. And I highlighted that sort of squad discrepancy, the numbers that are on that roster, because various sites are reporting various players are even in the squad. It's tough to then find additional coverage about how those players came to be in the squad and how they first came to be contacted by Jamaica. Yeah, my understanding, and it is a rough understanding, is that Michael Ricketts, who's the the head, the president of the Jamaican Football Federation, is really making a push to get Jamaican passports for a lot of these England-born but Jamaican-eligible players. So he had a quote that said, Andre Gray, Damari Gray, Isaac Hayden, Mason Holgate, Liam Moore, Nathan Redmond, Kamar Roof, and Ivan Tony are all in the process of acquiring their Jamaican passport. So that's a, that's a long list of English born players, a couple of which at least I recognized and then I researched the rest of them. But Mason Holgate, especially pretty high profile, Nathan Redmond, Southampton player. Uh, Damari Gray plays for Bayer Leverkusen. So it's a strong group of players that they're trying to recruit. I think they're going after them and it starts with the Federation. I think the Federation is trying to pursue these players. Because they want to make it to a World Cup. You could hear it in that yep. call with Damian Lowe that, that you tweeted about. We mentioned it briefly earlier. You could hear it. But the idea of, you know, this group getting to the World Cup was brought up multiple times. I think Jamaica sees their easiest path and the best way that they can get to the World Cup and make it through qualifying in the CONCACAF region is by going out and finding a more talented base of players than they can currently provide from their domestic league. And that's why they're doing it. How is a different question. I assume there's some process that stems from the Federation, but I think at least we can figure out why they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, and I think if you are some of those players you mentioned who probably uh, like uh, Andre Gray, for example, has played for what, like England's C team, I think a few times. Like if you're in that situation, he's now 29. You recognize you're not going to get into the England senior team. You're probably never going to get to go to a major competition otherwise. And suddenly you're reminded, oh, you have this Jamaican ancestry that you could definitely represent Jamaica if you wanted to. I think suddenly the opportunity to play international soccer and potentially go to a World Cup, but even like... I feel silly saying this, but like even going to a gold cup, like I think would be exciting for people who normally don't get to play for national yeah. teams in the summer to go to a, a competition and to play against Mexico and the United States and some of the names there. Like I, I do think it would be a bit more of a draw uh, for players who otherwise wouldn't get that opportunity. So this Jamaica team, if the U S does get a result, if it goes well, it sort of feels like the uh, upcoming U 23 game against Mexico where maybe it matters. Maybe it doesn't. It might just be their like complete reserve team in the U S complete reserve team. Let's wait until we see them in a more meaningful competitive game when maybe they do have that full roster, because if they get all those names that we've already talked about, that's a very, very good team. Uh, but for now, it's it's an OK team. And we're going to talk a little bit about what they might do, what we think they might do in terms of a starting 11 or a rough 11. We're going to get to that in just a second. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to today's sponsors. Joe, thank you uh, to, for waiting for all of those ads to run. <laughs> and now we can talk uh, Jamaica a little bit. We don't need to spend a ton of time because this is for everything we've already talked about. We're not sure who's going to go where. A lot of these players have never played before. A lot of these players have never played together for Jamaica. So it could be a completely experimental team. It could be lots of different new uh, approaches or it could just be a sort of uh, more standard approach with some new names put in there. Uh, do you want to start with like the base formation? Because I think I would normally have Jamaica in a 4-2-3-1. Uh, they do have, I think, like seven potential center backs on this roster. So maybe they go with a back three. That's always possible. I'm inclined to say maybe they'll go with something a bit more consistent like that back four in a 4-2-3-1. That'd be my best guess. Personnel-wise, okay. you're right. You're totally right. They have the number of center backs to play a three-back shape. But based off of what Whitmore's done in the past and especially the recent past... Either a 4-2-3-1 or even a 4-3-3 seem more likely, with the 4-2-3-1 kind of being just the classic, standard, modern version of the old 4-4-2. That seems like a lot of coaches can run without too much difficulty. That would be my assumption from Jamaica. All right. And then we have uh, in goal, we have uh, Shaven, Paul, uh, uh, Jadian White and uh, Kamar Foster. Uh, White and Paul, each with two caps, uh, each. Uh, Foster has never made an appearance for Jamaica. Uh, Jadian White is 20. Uh, Shaven Paul is 30. I don't really know who will start there, but either way, it's going to be a domestic goalkeeper who, as we said, has not played uh, competitive soccer since March of last year. Any inclination, Joe, as to who might be getting the start? I'm pulling out my dartboard right now, throwing it, All right. and I completely missed the board. I have no idea. Right. I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll skip over that one, but it could be anybody. But let's <laughs> talk about the back four then. Joe, who do you have fitting in where? Yeah, so this is really tricky. We'll start with center back. And I mentioned Michael Hector already plays for Fulham. He's got 32 caps with Jamaica already. Regular starter 
he seems like he's going to be one of the two center backs in this back line. Mm-hmm. If we think it's going to be a four-man, we'll just put him at one of those center back spots. Then you've got Adrian Mariapa, who's 34, plays for Bristol City in the championship. He has 49 caps. He can play as a right back or as a center back. Because this group is so light on fullbacks, it could very well be mm-hmm. that we see him at right back. The other guy I have down as a potential for that spot, and you might disagree, Taylor, or you might have found different things. I have Wes Harding who plays in the championship as well. He's one of these England-born players getting his first chance to get a cap. He's a center back or a right back, so another option there. I'll go more quickly with the rest of these guys. Liam Moore, (laughs) Ethan Pinnock, Curtis Tilt, and then I also have Wellington, who's 31 and plays in Jamaica. There's a number of different guys who could start at center back. If if I had to guess, I would say Hector and Mariapa, but I I think you feel more strongly about Mariapa playing as right back. What do you think, Taylor? I think just that I, I really ran into a like none of these gentlemen seem to be an out and out right back. They all seem to be center backs who can also play right back. But then looking at what Jamaica have done with Mariapa, uh, who is 34, who does have 49 caps, far and away the most experienced player on this team. I think they have used him at right back in the past. And so if he's done it before, if they've got a lot of other center backs who can who can handle that, then maybe it makes sense to have Mariapa there. I was leaning towards without having seen Really any footage, I'm sure I've seen a little bit because he plays for Brentford, but I had Ethan Pinnock as my starter just because he is a starter for a Brentford team that are pushing for promotion again, uh, did so as well last season. And I feel like that is a, a, a decently high standard compared to some of the names we've talked about and some of the, uh, the situations for some of the players we've discussed. So I had it as, uh, Amari Bell as your left back, Mariapa as your right back, and then Pinnock and Michael Hector as your two center backs. That sounds more than reasonable to me, sir. There is also a slight possibility that maybe uh, Michael Hector steps into the midfield and is more of a holding midfielder, again, because of the the surplus of center back options. But that would be a new thing and in a team that's already going to be having to kind of figure some things out on the fly. That feels like maybe a step too far. Uh, in the midfield, I did have Casey Palmer starting, which is risky given that that's one of the players we weren't sure, fully sure at least, was in the squad as a whole. Joe, what did your midfield look like? Yeah, Casey Palmer's the X factor because he's the logical fit as a number 10. He plays for Bristol uh-huh. City. Uh, England born. This would be his first, uh, first cap if he makes the, if he makes the game against the United States. I have him as a potential number 10, but if he's not in this group, maybe it's Jamal Lowe who plays as a number 10. He kind of does a similar job in the front two for Swansea City in Steve Cooper's 3-5-2 when he plays as one of the front two dropping in. So that is possible, but the other options are Omar Holness, Kivon Isaacs, Luca Leave, and then, as we said, Casey Palmer. So all three, or, or at least Isaacs and Leave play in Jamaica, and then Omar Holness plays for Darlington in the sixth tier in England. We just don't know enough about these guys to say where they're going to play. It could be Isaacs and Holness as a double pivot in front, or behind Palmer, excuse me, or Leave could find his way in there. We just don't really know. That is what I did have, though, uh, based on a combination of experience because Isaacs and Holness both have played uh, for Jamaica multiple times. They're not in the double digits category, but at least they have some experience. That's why I had them as your sort of two holders in that 4-2-3-1, Isaacs and Holness. And then I had Casey Palmer ahead of them, again, depending on whether or not he's actually there. Uh, if not, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe they'll change it up. Maybe it will be Jamal Lowe sliding over. But I had Jamal Lowe as my right-sided attacker with Ricardo Morris as my left-sided attacker. Yeah, that's very reasonable. Morris is really the only guy who play, or from what I could tell at least, the only mm-hmm. player who plays out wide for his club. Uh, Jamal Lowe again plays in the middle, even though he's very capable of playing out wide. So it makes sense that we're going to see Morris on one of the two wings. 
It just depends on where the rest of this roster or how the rest of this roster shakes out and how Whitmore wants to line it up. But up top, I think this is the one guy I feel maybe the most confident about. Andre Gray plays for Watford. We talked about him already. He feels like the de facto number nine in this group. He's one of these England born players getting his first chance to get a cap. As I've said, um, he is, he's good, Taylor. He's playing for one of the yes. best teams in the championship right now. Watford are second. Yeah. He's got four goals in just over a thousand minutes for them. So not great production overall. I think but, it's been a bad season for him due to injury and just kind of a downturn in form, but is, is a consistent goal scorer at club level for sure. And, and right now, Taylor, he's actually in really good form as of the last few games. He's got three goals in his last 202 minutes for Watford. So that's a goal every, you know, 70-ish minutes, a little less than 70 minutes. That's not bad. He can get in behind. He has good movement in the box. He likes to curve his runs to time it so he has that speed advantage in behind the back line. Gray is going to be a guy that the U.S., especially the center backs, really have to watch out for, communicate well on, on who's who's marking him, who's passing him off, staying with Gray and not allowing him to get in behind or move too freely in the box. He should be the starting number nine, and he's a very, very good player. Yeah, and I, and I think if you look at that right-hand side, if it is Mariapa as your right-back, if it is Jamal Lowe as your sort of right-side attacker with Andre Gray central, that seems like a, a, a decent combination of players that can uh, create on Jamaica's right, the U.S.'s left, which uh, we, we know is not the strongest of positions for the United States when it comes to that left-back spot. We'll talk about that, obviously, in just a minute. Uh, but I, I do think there, there's definitely still talent there. I think fitness is going to be a big issue. I will not be surprised if the U.S gets a few goals after maybe the 60th minute or so. Uh, that's at Austria, I don't think is going to be uh, sweltering hot like we've seen <laughs> with the U23 Olympic qualifiers. So maybe it will be a little bit more forgiving, but I do think fitness is going to factor into it. And again, that a significant percentage of those midfielders are domestic and haven't played in a while. Uh, same goes for some of those attackers. I think they will run into some problems in the latter stages of the game, but the U.S. could easily get caught out early because Andre Gray has that kind of veteran wisdom, the veteran guile, uh, will be a player that the U.S. has to kind of keep tabs on throughout the first half slash the entire game, assuming he starts, which I'm with you, I think he will. Even in this week in Jamaica squad, there's real talent. The back line that we could see is either mm-hmm. made up of Premier League or Championship defenders which is pretty much what we saw against Wales recently. And that game wasn't, it wasn't super easy for the U.S. It was a draw. And then the front line, especially with Gray and Jamal Lowe and Casey Palmer, if he's in there as that number 10, that's another strong attacking core. That's probably a stronger attacking group than the U.S. has faced since 2019. I mean, there are parts of this Jamaica squad that are going to cause the U.S. real problems, either make it difficult for the U.S. to break them down or, you know, they're going to make it difficult for the U.S. to stop their attack. So, the U.S. should win this game. I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't, especially if Berhalter puts out his best squad in this first friendly as opposed to waiting to the Northern Ireland game. The U.S. should win this game, but I, there are certainly sections of it and sections of this Jamaica group that are going to make life hard on the U.S. Yeah, certainly. And with that back line, yeah, if it is a back three slash back five slash back ten, uh, I think it will be incumbent upon the United States to have the discipline to be able to figure that out and find a way through, which is maybe a good way to transition into talking about the United States. Unless you have anything else to say about Jamaica, Joe? No, I, just I guess one thing. I lied. One thing. Hmm. I do think it's good <laughs> for the U.S. that Jamaica is making this dual national recruiting push. I think it's good for CONCACAF. Yep. I think it's good to have more competitive teams in the region. If Berhalter wants to continue to elevate this U.S. men's national team group that he's working with, you need to be playing good teams. And in the past, especially the recent past, 
CONCACAF outside of Mexico and Costa Rica a few years earlier maybe hasn't been particularly competitive. So having Jamaica elevate themselves is good for competition. It's good for the region and it's good for the U.S. And I'm excited to see hopefully the dust settle and Jamaica actually work with a really, really talented group of players. Yeah, because there's the world in which Jamaica get all of those players that we've already talked about and get very, very strong. Curacao continue to develop or recruit yeah. uh, maybe Dutch players that won't be playing for the Netherlands. Gus Hiddink is there. We've got Mexico. We've got Canada getting ever stronger. It, it could it could be a good time for CONCACAF in terms of the competitiveness and maybe an increase in the global standing. Uh, but we'll have to see how Jamaica develop. We'll have to see what the United States continue to do, which we will do in just a second. But first, another word from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. All right, Joe, we've done plenty of coverage of Jamaica. I'm going to confidently say that we have previewed Jamaica more than 
Pretty much any other show is going to. I feel like 30 minutes on, on the Jamaican national team, such as it is, uh, is good. Now let's turn our attentions to the United States, who themselves have had a little bit of roster churn, a little bit of chaos. We talked about that, I believe, uh, earlier in the week when we, when we just kind of did a quick review of the roster as it stands. Joe, have there been any changes that you've noted or anything that you think we need to get to before we just kind of look at this team, what we'd like to see, what formations we'd like to see, and what takeaways we would like to be able to take away? No more. More changes, but I just want right. to restate Tyler Adams and Tim Way are not in this camp due to COVID restrictions. John Brooks yep. and Reggie Cannon have to leave after the Jamaica game, again, due to COVID there restrictions. So it's a 26-man roster, 23 players based in Europe, three based in MLS, just to kind of fill out the numbers at certain positions. So that's that's where we stand logistics-wise and COVID-wise on this group. All right. And what I would like to do then is maybe go through position group by position group uh, and build a... A first lineup that is maybe reflective of what we've seen from the U.S. so far, the kind of 4-3-3 shape, two number eights, wide attackers that can interchange, all that good stuff. And then after that, maybe we could also try an experimental one when we have a back three, since we do have, what, six center backs on this roster. Since to reason, maybe we see some experimentation there, but I don't want to get our wires crossed too much. So, Joe, let's start with the U.S. in a back four in this game against Jamaica. What is the, the team that you think we might see? that you would most like to see. I think, so listeners know, our usual practice is to try to do like 70% what we think Burhalter will do and then 30% what we would like Burhalter to do and find that combination where we can. My 70% and my 30% line up perfectly in goal. And that's where we should start here. So the three goalkeepers on this roster, Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, and Chituru Odunze. Zach Steffen's got to be the starter, right? He's starting for Man City in cup competitions. He just started in the FA Cup on Saturday in Man City's 2-0 win over Everton. Ethan Horvath is a backup at Bruges at this point. He's had a little bit of a battle with COVID as well, but he seems to be back in that group just on the bench. And then Odunze, he's not a senior level starter right now. He's in this group to give them a third goalkeeper in training and an emergency option in game if they need it. Odunze's gotten a few minutes with Leicester City's U23s in the Premier League 2 but he's not in competition to start over Zach Steffen or even Ethan Horvath in this group. It's got to be Steffen, and I honestly think it should be Steffen in both of these games. Get him reps against Jamaica, get him reps against Northern Ireland. Taylor, are you with me, or, or do you see it differently? I am with you. I'm surprised I'm surprised to say that, uh, because I definitely had Steffen starting the first game. I wasn't so sure about the second game, but I think you've made a pretty compelling argument, both with giving him the reps, Ethan Horvath uh, having the COVID issues, like not necessarily being at that level where he is going to challenge for the number one spot, at least not right yet. I'd rather let Zach Steffen get those reps. We did get the question about uh, why Chaturo Odunze is with this team. If he's not going to play, why not send him with the Olympic team where he is obviously eligible? And my answer to that would be He's not really played much for the Olympic team, so why throw him in with a team where there's already sort of an established hierarchy of goalkeepers? He's probably not going to break that one apart. He's probably not going to get that many minutes. Why send him all the way around the world when you could just keep him with the national team and get him some more experience there, the senior national team, that is? So, uh, yeah, I think Odunze, we maybe we'll see that feels not as likely. Maybe we'll see Ethan Horvath in the second game, but I'm with you that we'll definitely see Zach Steffen against Jamaica and maybe probably possibly against Northern Ireland. Yeah, I mean, it could be Horvath in that second game, and I won't be bothered if it is. It doesn't make a Mm -hmm. whole lot of difference to me. I just want to see Zach Steffen continue to pass the ball. I want to see if he can play out. I don't know if Jamaica will high press. They could at times. I just want to see him continue to establish himself as uh, as a part of 
the U.S.'s build-up unit with the center backs and, and maybe that number six dropping in as well. I want to see him play with the ball at his feet, and I think the more chances we get to see him do that and prove himself as a shot stopper, which has been a bit of a knock against him in the past, I think the more chances we have to evaluate him, the better off it's going to be and the better off we're going to be. I agree with you. So let's look at the center backs then ahead of Zach Steffen. I'm assuming you've got Tim Ream and Aaron Long. Is that correct? Oh, of course. Actually, I have Eric Palmer Brown starting at both center back spots. So oh, perfect. Almost. You were almost there. <laughs> I'll read the list though. I will read the list. It's John Brooks, Aaron Long, Matt Mianska, mm-hmm. Eric Palmer Brown, Tim Ream, and Chris Richards. All six of them, Taylor. How do we, how do we talk about this group? Who do you have starting? Lay it on me. Um, I definitely have absolutely John Brooks starting this game, uh, because I think he is the maybe number one on the team sheet, uh, for the U.S., uh, especially with some of the consistency and injury issues with other players. Not that he hasn't had those himself, but I would definitely say John Brooks is my starting center back. Uh, and obviously he's leaving after this game, so why would you bring him in to not play him? Right. Uh, it, it is a little bit more of a toss-up, and I think it probably comes down to, with that other spot, Chris Richards or Matt Miazga, at least to me. Uh, Miazga with Anderlecht, uh, Chris Richards obviously getting minutes with Hoffenheim. Some good, some bad this weekend. I did not see the, the game itself, but the coverage I did see seemed to imply that he was completely at fault for one goal, like maybe like horrifically so, but then also got an assist, so that's good. Uh, I would not mind seeing Chris Richards and John Brooks start, and that is what I have as my uh, starting center back pair. Same. You don't bring John Brooks if you're not going to play him against this against Jamaica in this first game because he's got to go home. So he's got to start at left center back. Then I just really want to see Chris Richards. I don't know. Yep, that's where I am. I don't. Yep. We don't know how Berhalta rates him. We assume because we have eyes that he rates him highly, but we don't. We don't know for sure yet. So I guess it kind of depends on how he looks in this very very short camp they have before the game. But if Chris, if Chris Richards looks at all like he's looked for Hoffenheim, even with the, with the mistakes and the growing pains and all that, you've got to think that he's going to be the starter at right center back. Yeah, he plays on the left side of a back three for Hoffenheim, but he is right footed. He's a natural fit at that spot over guys like Matt Miazga. I just think Richards is a better center back right now and not even just on potential, but in this moment, I think Richards is better than yep. Matt Miazga. Aaron Long's not playing for the Red Bulls. That's not to say we're not going to see him in one of these games, but he's out of season and I think that hurts him a little bit. And then Tim Ream is a much more natural fit for left center back instead of right center back. We could see him if the U.S. goes for a back three in either one of these games. And EPB, I don't really know how to rate him or how to contextualize him in this group, but he's playing at a lower level than Chris Richards, and I don't think he's impressed me as much relative to Richards either. So I think it's got to be Brooks and Richards. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think basically definitely Brooks, uh, left center back at right center back. It could be either Richards or Miazga, as we've already said. I think Richards is probably called into camp, see what he can do, see how he fits in. Uh, does already have the one cap, obviously, but maybe you kind of see how he looks and then evaluate. And if he goes in lights out and plays really, really well and is good on the ball and shuts stuff down, maybe he starts. If it's Matt Miazga, I won't be so bummed. I would still like to see Richards, but I think if it's Miazga, that means Miazga has continued to impress in camp as well. Yeah well, and maybe Richards didn't reach that next level. But I think this is that 70-30 percentage thing. This is where I probably lean Chris Richards just because it does feel like a toss-up, and with a toss-up, I'm going with the player that I'm more excited to see. So we've got those two as our center backs. What about as our fullbacks, Joe? Because we've got, again, a few different options in a few different places. We've got that classic question of, does Sergino Dest play right back or left back? So the four fullbacks in this group, I should say, Dest, Reggie Cannon, who has to go home after this first game. That adds a nice little wrinkle into things. And then you've got Brian Reynolds and Anthony Robinson. So Robinson is the only true left back. 
So you'd think that gives him an advantage. But then because Cannon has to go home early, does Berhalter want to prioritize getting him minutes and playing Reggie Cannon as a right back and shifting Dest over to left back, getting one look at that lineup and then shifting it aback and having Robinson a left back and Dest at right back after Cannon goes home? I I don't know, but Taylor, to me, and maybe this is harsh, it sounds a little silly to try to prioritize getting minutes for Reggie Cannon. And that sounds so mean. I, Reggie Cannon seems like a great guy. I like him even as a player. But unless Baralter's really set on getting a look at Dest at left back, I don't think you really need to prioritize getting Cannon a start. Maybe you bring him off the bench, give Dest a 30-minute break. I think I would lean towards seeing Dest at right back, Robinson at left back, and then maybe... Maybe you go Brian Reynolds at right back and Dest at left back in the second game if you don't want to see two matches of Anthony Robinson. Like, I just, I'm not sure it matters a whole lot, but for this first game, my 30% is slightly winning out and I'm saying Dest at right back and Robinson at left back. I think, I think I'm with you on, on one part that it's basically Dest is starting in one of those spots and yeah. it could be either yeah. one. It could be at left, which means it's probably Reggie Cannon. It could be at right, which means it's Anthony Robinson on the opposite side. I do lean towards Dest uh, at left back, Reggie Cannon at right back, and then, yeah, you move Dest back for the yeah, second game. You yeah. start Anthony Robinson in the second one. Maybe Brian Reynolds gets some minutes at the end. But there is an argument there. You're not wrong. And I hadn't really thought about it that, like, if it is just going to be Dest as our starting right back for sure, like if that is a, just a nailed on thing, then I don't know why you would go Cannon and put Dest at left back. Uh, because yes, he's got the familiarity with it, but like, would you want again with Zach Steffen? Don't you want those reps there? Don't you want your players playing those consistent minutes? It's a toss up for me, but I think in the end, I'm just going to go Cannon because I think he's leaving. You want to get him into camp. You want to give him some minutes and some reps with the senior team. And then I would put Dest on the other side just because I think. Dest has to start. He's in great form. He's been doing big things for Barcelona, admittedly as a wing back and less so as a out and out fullback. But I think principles are roughly still the same. Yes, so I think definitely. Greg Berhalter won't mind that one too much. But it's another one where I, I'm excited to see Reggie Cannon for the national team. I am excited to see Anthony Robinson for the national team. So it's sort of whichever one starts, I am OK with. We really just need to get the full pool together and have Berhalter choose his first choice 23 and see yeah. how the fullback thing shakes out. Is Dest the best left back? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably the best left back and right back in the pool right now anyway. But does Berhalter value Dest at right back more than at left back? How does Sam Vines fit into this equation? We just need to see Berhalter's first choice 11. I don't think we've ever gotten to see that outside of maybe the Gold Cup. So, yeah. it, I mean, the summer really can't come soon enough just for the whole fullback debate. Not that, you know, that really consumes anyone, but still. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what happens with the fullbacks. Uh, we'll see what happens with the center backs. The midfield is also one where I'm, I'm slightly confused. Oh, yeah. Cause I think we can pick maybe two of the three most likely starters, but it's that third one that is maybe the most important <laughs> and the one that I struggle with the most. Uh, because we do not have Tyler Adams. Joe already mentioned that. Jackson Yule is with the Olympic team for qualifying. So the two players who have most consistently played that spot under Greg Berhalter are not there. Michael Bradley, obviously not on this roster either. So there, in my mind, are two or maybe three candidates for that number six spot. Joe, who are your, uh, we, we can just go maybe the out and out starters there. Who's your starting three? And then we can extrapolate from there. Oh man, this is so hard. Okay. My starting three <laughs> is Kellen Acosta at the six, uh, Yunus okay. Musa as one of the eights and Sebastian Legette as the other eight. I take it that you did not have the same starting three. I, had okay i will be honest here i had sebastian legette uh, i had Yunus musa and then i had a list of uh capis uh, Otisoe, and acosta and i was not sure yeah. because there are 
positives and negatives for all of them. And in the end, I had Acosta penciled in. I just wasn't sure if that was a thing that you felt like we were likely to see versus him getting some reps at number eight and how does he fit in there a bit more. But there are, I think, lots of different reasons why Kellen Acosta as the six makes sense for this team. Yeah, and the way I got to Acosta at the six is just by eliminating the other options. So let's start with Otisoe. He's 20 years old. He's been mostly a bench player for Wolves this year. I think, personally, that his best spot is a center back. I don't I don't think Berhalter agrees, or maybe it just doesn't matter enough right now to delineate and put him on one spot in the roster release versus another. I'm, I'm kind of splitting hairs at that point, but he's so young. I think Berhalter asking him to come in and start just doesn't feel super on brand for Greg Berhalter. It doesn't feel right. No, Yeah, it feels, if anything, it feels like that's a thing you do when a player has come into camp, a little bit like uh, David Ochoa with the Olympic team, when they've come in and really like, wow, this player is way better than we thought they were. They're way ahead of where we thought they were developmentally. Let's give them a start and reward them. That does feel like if it is Otisoe, that's him going into camp and sort of lighting things up. And yeah. it's like, oh, wow, okay, we've got another option here. And maybe that's happened, but I'm with you that it feels less likely than bringing him in to continue to keep him in the conversation. He does have the one cap. Maybe he gets some minutes at the end of this game or uh, in the Northern Ireland game. But you're right. I don't see him coming out and starting. If he does, to me, that sends a message. Yeah, and it's great if Otisoe starts. I love that you highlighted that, but it just doesn't seem super probable to me. So then you go down to the next player on the list, and I have... Kappas as being a possible guy in that spot. So he's a regular starter for Hobro in the second league in Denmark. He's soon to be transferred to Bronby in the top division. So he's a guy that, that clubs in Denmark have obviously rated. Bronby obviously rates. He's 21. He's from Texas. He's left-footed. And he plays mostly as a number eight with Hobro. And that's the key for me. Yeah, he's mobile. He can cover ground. He's got a nice left foot so he can hit some passes. But I think it would be, again, not on brand necessarily for Burhalter to put this guy that he's not gotten a lot of looks at before, the camp's super short, and say, okay, you're actually going to be playing a completely different role than you are with your club. I know we just went through this with Yunus Musa, but there was youth footage on Musa at that spot. There was a lot of data saying that Musa could play as a central midfielder, and I think Burhalter had had much more in-depth conversations with Musa, and his staff had had those conversations in ways that they haven't had with Kappas. And so that leaves me with saying, okay, he's probably going to get bench minutes as an eight. And then yep. Kellen Acosta is the most senior option of the six options, of the number six options that we listed. And so I, th- I think he's the best, most natural fit. Not that he's a great fit, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, one other point about Kappas would be that he, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying, was a late addition yeah. after you had some other players scratch. He comes in and to me... It feels, unless it's a veteran who's like, all right, fine, we'll bring you in and you can replace Tyler Adams because you know what to do here. That feels like a player they're bringing in to see how he's doing and to kind of make sure that he knows he's included. Maybe that's also a like, hey, this guy plays for the U.S. national team. Keep that in mind, future suitors. Yeah. Uh, but it does not feel like a, a potential starter. The only other option I saw in there as being maybe a possibility, and maybe this is a reach, would be Luca De La Torre, who has played central for Heracles, but it's usually in either a 4-2-3-1 as part of a double pivot, or it's in a 4-4-2, and again, he's got numbers around him. I don't usually see him as a number six. Joe, is that a thing you think he could do, or do you think he's unlikely to do? He could, yeah. I remember we talked about him a couple weeks ago. I guess it could back. be both. Yeah, he could, but unlikely. That's but probably fair. He doesn't have mobility, which is okay because Jackson Yule doesn't have a lot of mobility either, and he's played the six before. But De La Torre doesn't have the same passing range that Jackson Yule has that kind of makes mm. it okay for him to lack the defensive mobility. 
I think De La Torre is best as a connector kind of number eight. But sure, it's it's totally possible. Just again, this first his first Colin under Berhalter, I don't think it's a logical spot for him to play. Yep. I'm good with it. So that leaves us with uh, Legette starting at the kind of left side, number eight. I had Brendan Aronson maybe subbing on for him. And I am really excited to see Brendan Aronson. I hope he gets minutes either in this game or maybe gets a start against Northern Ireland uh, yeah. because he's just super fun to watch pretty much every time we can watch him. So I hope he gets minutes there. But I have yeah Legette, Musa, and then I'm with you on Acosta. That leaves us that front line, Joe, that front three that we would expect to be there. And... I think it's pretty straightforward, aside from maybe your, like, 19 different forward options, but I have Christian <laughs> Pulisic on the left, and I have Giorena on the right. Yeah, they're the only two natural wingers, asterisks on that, because Brendan Aronson very much could be a natural winger. He just hasn't really played that role with the club yet, not with the Union and not with Salzburg right now. So Pulisic, it makes sense to start him on the left. Giorena makes sense to start him on the right, and then you're dealt with that. You have to deal with that number nine option. I think it's pretty clear for me who I think we'll see and maybe even who I want to yeah. see. Taylor, do you have a guy in your mind? It sounds like we both do. I have Josh Sargent. Starting. Same. Same here. Yeah. Which I, I did not think would be the case a month ago. Uh, I think from, from what we had been talking about with him with our Americans Abroad recaps, uh, with him playing for Verde Bremen, there was always the sort of like alleviating factor of he doesn't really have that much service. He doesn't have much creativity around him, but we still just didn't see him doing certain things that we know Greg Berhalter wants him to do. There wasn't the mobility. There wasn't the, the first touch that maybe needs to be there. There wasn't the dropping in and finding pockets of space to connect play and to pull defenders out. I think we've started to see more and more of that, even with him playing on the kind of right side on occasion slash more frequently, like I think we're still seeing him develop his game and and just get better in ways that I think will definitely appeal to Greg Berhalter and if nothing else, make Berhalter want to try Josh Sargent in that number nine spot to see if he has kind of diversified his skill set from the last time we saw Josh Sargent with the national team. The other options at striker are Daryl DK, Nico Joachini, yep. and Jordan Sibachu. Yep. So there's three other guys yep. besides Sargent. It seems to me that Sargent is playing... Sargent plays the number nine closest to how Berhalter wants it to be played, and he's doing it at the highest level. I think Joachini is the, the next closest positionally and, and sort of style-wise. They can drop in. They can get touches a little bit deeper in midfield and do shades of what Jesus Ferreira is doing right now with the U23s in Guadalajara down in Mexico. So there is a, it's a stylistic comparison between Sargent and Ferreira and kind of that number nine role in general. And then I just think it makes more sense to have Daryl DK come off the bench. Yeah, he's been a regular starter for Barnsley. He's got five goals there. He's been doing very, very well. But he doesn't play like Berhalter. At least he doesn't play like the data suggests Berhalter wants his nine to play. Same for Sibachu. Yeah, he's a regular starter for young boys in the Swiss Super League. He scored some nice goals there for this uh, for them this season. He scored 10 in the league, three in the Europa League. But he stays higher and build up. And that's not a bad thing. I think we could very well see Berhalter use that style of number nine, that DKC, but you style. But I think it makes more sense for Berhalter to get a look at Sargent, see how he plays in this Jamaica game, let him mm-hmm. play 60 minutes or 90 minutes, whatever. And then if you want to change it up for the Northern Ireland game and go with a different style, you can. But all, all signs kind of point to Sargent at this point, but then that just means he's actually not going to start on Thursday. So who knows? <laughs> I would be really, really surprised if it's not Josh Sargent. And I think similar to what I was saying with like Oda Soe starting as the number six, if it is Daryl DK, if it is Joaquini or Sibachu, I think that tells us those players really impressed and came in with a point to prove. I have Daryl DK as 
in my top three of players I want to see in this game, but don't expect to start. Daryl DK is one, Aronson is two, Robinson is three, and then we have Sergio Des sliding over to the right back, and we can see if that makes any difference. But I think Daryl DK coming in, especially if it is nil nil or one nil in like the 60th minute the u.s is chasing and they just want to add another attacking component in there not even necessarily to replace josh Sargent, maybe to play alongside him or maybe there's another attacker who's brought on and then you do have kind of two central with dk uh being the hold up being the target striker but then somebody to run off of him and and connect those plays as well i think we we We'll likely see him, but I don't think he starts. I think it is definitely Josh Sargent. And then Pulisic and Reyna on either side also feels like a thing we could see for a very long time. This isn't the U.S.'s strongest group. You're missing Tim mm-hmm. Weah. You're missing Tyler Adams. You're missing some other depth guys who could be a factor. You're missing Weston McKinney. Can't believe we haven't mentioned mm-hmm. him yet. Injured. We did talk about that on a previous show, but still, you're, you're missing a few starters. I think Tim Weah would be a starter, and I think certainly Adams and McKinney would be as well. But man, and then this Jordan is, Morris, obviously injured. Yeah, Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola, both out with injuries right now. Morris is obviously more long-term. But man, even without those five guys that we just listed, this is a strong group, Taylor. There is a lot of talent in this group. I mean, we just kind of brushed over Yunus Musa, who is committed to the men's hmm. national team. Yeah, we spent half yep. a show talking about it, whatever. But he is he's a difference maker. He's a starter in midfield, almost, almost a locked-in starter for this camp and certainly for the future as well. Then at forward, you've got Jordan Sipachu, another dual national who committed to this group. He's a very good number nine. I think he's a player that could give Jossi Zardes a real run for his money. They're similar-ish in how they move in the box. Zardes is probably a little bit more refined in his movement. But Jordan Sipachu scores goals. He's not playing 100% of the minutes for young boys, but he scored 13 goals in his time on the field. So, man, you look at dual nationals that are committing. You look at the, the depth and the strength of this roster and the young talent that's in this group. I just left feeling really encouraged about this group and this pool right now, even with the questions about who starts at the six. I mean, who starts at number nine? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of depth there, but still not a lot of proven quality. I mean, this is just a really, really nice group of players. It is. And then, like, if you look at that, those kind of six attackers, uh, as you, as we've listed them, Sibachu is the oldest and he's 24 years old. The next oldest would be Christian Pulisic at 22. If that is our, like, starting front line for at least the foreseeable future, that's Reyna at 18, Sargent at 21, Pulisic at 22. We've got some time with them, is I guess what I'm getting at here. Even Yunus Musa, I would say, is in and around that conversation for if we have our first choice 11, him potentially starting, he's 18 years old. So there's so many young players. It is still a relatively young team, like Lejet and Brooks, I would say, are the kind of veterans in there, certainly Tim Ream as well. But you've just got so much youth that still has experience. It's not youth and inexperience. To me, it's youth with a little bit of experience to a lot bit of experience. It, it's a it's a roster that with everything we've talked about and the players that aren't there, it still has me really excited. I'm with you, Joe. So it could be a 4-3-3. That's how we kind of frame mm-hmm. this whole conversation with Zach Steffen in goal, either Dester Cannon at right back, either Dester Robinson at left back, then John Brooks and Chris Richards in the middle of that back line. Then we decided Kellen Acosta as the number six, but we wouldn't be shocked if it's someone else. Sebastian Legette and Yunus Musa as the number eights. Josh Sargent up top as the nine with Pulisic on the left and Reyna on the right. So that's where we landed in the 4-3-3. But you and I are both of the mind, Taylor, that it is possible that we see a different shape, a three-center back shape that probably resembles more of a 3-4-3. Who do we think, or, or I guess what has to change to get into that shape versus the 4-3-3 shape? I think you're talking bigger picture because, like, we usually get, and I think this is a 
a potential like pandemic COVID thing. But normally in the run up to games, you'll get those little comments from Burhalter, or he'll do an interview with some outlet where he talks about like we might see a new look, or like yeah, there's a special reason we wanted so many center backs, and you'll get those little hints, or you'll f- see like three center backs featured in U.S. soccer media, and you'll think like why are they featuring? Th- oh, I see what's happening here. We haven't got any of those again. It's it's pandemic related, but I think the two things aside from Joe just saying. I feel like we might see a back three, and that usually is a good indicator of of possible things. I think it's the six center backs and only two wingers, as you pointed out. It feels like we might get those two wingers starting and maybe different players trying that th- those positions later on in the game against Jamaica. But for Northern Ireland, if you want to rest Pulisic or Reyna or you want to try them in different spots, if you move to that back three and make it like, that, like a 3-4-2-1 or some form of that, you can bring numbers central or you could even go like, like a three, four, one, two and Pulisic is the one and you've got two strikers and then you can try different combinations. Maybe it's Joaquini, maybe it's Ibachu, maybe it's DK and Sargent. Like, but I, I think it gives you a different look that allows you to see like some of those lesser known, less experienced players in more comfortable or more interesting positions for them. So I think basically we would then be what adding a center back and getting rid of an attacker, roughly speaking is how I see it, or maybe one of those midfielders. And I think it probably, if they were going to be a back three, I don't think it would be Tim Ream, like kind of doing the sliding over thing. I'm inclined to say it's Brooks, Miazga and Richards, but maybe again, that's just kind of wishful thinking over what we've actually seen in the past. No, that's what I have too in my hypothetical back three. I have a 3-4-3 with Richards on the left, Brooks in the middle, and Matt Miazga on the right. It could be almost any combination of the center backs, and I really won't be too fussed about it one way or the other. I'd really like to see Richards, Brooks make sense to start. But other than that, it it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Then to get that back three, essentially, I just drop Kellen Acosta. You drop whoever's playing at the number six spot, and you turn that Mm -hmm. player into the third center back. So in my lineup, I've got the back three in front of Zach Steffen, and then it's Sebastian Legette and Yunus Musa as a double pivot. And then it's the two wing backs again, Desk, Cannon, Robinson, whatever, right? Then yeah. as the, as the front three, I've got Josh Sargent as the nine and then Pulisic and Reina still. So not a lot changes personnel wise. You just lose that six and not a lot changes tactically either. And this is kind of why I think we could see this shape because in possession, as the U.S. have the ball, instead of it being the fullbacks push high in a four, three, three, the wingers tuck inside. So you get that front five with, with fullback, winger, striker, winger, fullback going from right to left or left to right. Instead of having the front five that way, you just push the wingbacks up in the 3-4-3. Three, three. Then you get the front five formed really easily. Mm-hmm. And then you have three center backs and two midfielders instead of two midfield or two center backs and three midfielders. It's just the other shape. It's just the other arrangement of that 2-3-3-2, two, three, three, two, whatever it is. So not a lot mm-hmm. changes. And we've even seen Berhalter use that 3-2-5 shape before. We saw it in January camp, I believe, in 2020. It's not, it's not rocket science to change from one to the other. I think that for me, especially because of the sixth spot and how unpredictable it kind of is, I think that for me is the biggest reason why we could see it. It's because it's really not all that different. I feel like you just like future quoted Greg Berhalter because we know (laughs) he doesn't love those sort of like positional, who's your number six? He'll kind of dispute the terminology of being a number six. He also doesn't seem to love talking about formations in that context either. So him him coming out and saying, like, it's not that hard to do different things. It's not one thing or the other. It could be a combination of things. That does feel like a comment we would get from Greg Berhalter. And I'm, re- and I'm with you that it's pretty easy to kind of swap and change. 
if we were going to get, like, let's say we did get the lineup that we predicted against uh, Jamaica, and then we did get a little bit of experimentation against Northern Ireland, are there some other players you would like to see? Like, we know we won't have John Brooks for that second game, right? So I, I think you're probably right that if you drop Kellen Acosta and keep Brooks central, he is very good on the ball, probably our best ball playing center back. So it makes sense to have him there. If in that second game they didn't have him there, who do you think – could step up in that role, and if it's uh, Richards or Miazga, who do you think then starts alongside them? Yeah, I'd like to see Richards and Miazga in that second game if that's how the chips fall. And then if it's if maybe it's Tim Ream playing as the left center back, and then you have Richards and Miazga next to him, I think it could go a number of different ways. Long and EPB could come in and, and get minutes, and it's just a full rotation from game one to game two. But Taylor, I think the biggest player I want to see, and you talked about him already, it's Brendan Aronson. He seems like he's primed yep. to get minutes either as a number eight or as a winger because he can do both of those jobs really well. And he's kind of doing both of them at the same time for Salzburg. And again, there are only two wingers, Pulisic and Reyna, natural wingers on this roster. So you just put Aronson, uh, you know, in for one of them against Northern Ireland. And that's easy. You already filled a spot for the next game. You figured out that frontline rotation. So I'd really like to see Aronson as we move, you know, kind of up a line from defense to midfield or even up to the forward line. Then I'd also really like to see Sibachu. We've never gotten to look at him for the U.S. before. I Again, I really like him as a player. I think he can score goals and get in good spots. So I, I guess Aronson and Sibachu are my biggest request. You can toss Daryl DK in there too just to please the masses. Uh, that is correct. That is what <laughs> you should be doing. The only other like slight wrinkle – that is, I think, kind of different in my mind than normal is Christian Pulisic, who we've we've talked about on the show, has been talked about at great length, uh, his minutes or lack thereof, where he's playing and how much he's playing and the competitions he's playing in. Normally with Pulisic, we get managed minutes. We get, oh, uh, like he's playing 60 in one game, 30 in the other, or 60 in one game, zero in the other. With the way it's gone for like for him at Chelsea of late, broadly speaking, like do you think we're more likely to get him starting two games in a row than we would be otherwise? Because I think I think I kind of do that. If he's not playing all the time for Chelsea, he's not playing every single game, and his legs are exhausted. Why not give him a run out? And if for no other reason than to like yeah, let him run around, but also maybe he scores a goal here, maybe he scores a goal there, and just sort of remind people that he's still a very good player. Yeah, this seems like the perfect time to get him two starts. If he is fit enough to do that, his legs haven't been run into the ground true. by Thomas true, Tuchel. True, true. It's been pretty much the opposite of that. It seems like he's healthy. He just started a game recently. But again, yeah, he's not gotten a ton of minutes. So he should be okay and ready to go. Get him two starts. It feels like it's the right time to do that and, and get Berhalter more, just more of a chance to work with him in game because that hasn't really happened a whole lot yet. All right. So uh, my closing thing, uh, briefly, I wanted to make sure we talked about were just like any other lingering questions or things you're going to be keeping an eye on. Uh, for an example, Joe, uh, just the situation with the number six spot. Who starts there? Uh, as I said, I think there are four-ish possibilities. I'm with you that Kellen Acosta seems most likely, but... Do they do the same thing that they would do if Tyler Adams were there? Or do they change it up? Do we see somebody sitting in and kind of holding that that central spot the way we've come to expect from, say, Jackson Ewell or Michael Bradley? Like, is it something else entirely? Do they go with two holding midfielders and one more attacking midfielder? Like, that feels like it would be outside of the norm and less likely. But I, I am always interested in how the U.S. deals with a player like Tyler Adams not being there. Do you try to go like for like or do you change it up a little bit? Do you change it up a lot bit? Uh, how, so how they handle the absence of Tyler Adams, I really w want to see. I want to see how the relationship between Leggett and Musa works out. And if other players come in, how that goes as well, because... 
Right now, I feel like it could be Legette and Musa as the starters in a full-strength team. Obviously, Weston McKinney would be in that conversation, but I genuinely don't know which one of them he replaces. I know people who don't like Major League Soccer. They're screaming would at say, you right of course, now. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yelling. Of course they are. And, and to that I say... Greg Burhalter likes his guys, and there are certain guys that I think he really relies on and has confidence in being able to do what he asks, and I think Sebastian Legette is certainly one of them that he's in this squad, I think, like, emphasizes that. Same goes for Kellen Acosta, same goes for Aaron Long. So, is it Sebastian Legette in there? I feel like it probably is Weston McKinney and Eunice Musa with Tyler Adams behind them, if we're going with our ideal midfield three, but I just want to know how that works without some of those names being there. Yeah, and I'll add to general talking points or things that we're looking for. I want to see where Brendan Aronson plays. Does he play on the wing? Does he play in the middle? Does he do both over these two games? Who knows? I want to see just more of Chris Richards and Eunice Musa in U.S. kits. Chris Richards yep. got a few minutes at the end of the November, uh, uh, maybe just the one game in November. I can't remember at this point, but mm-hmm. you got a I little bit of one. playing time. Eunice Musa started both of those games. I want to see them both more. And then the last thing for me is just how does the front line look? How do those players perform? Is Christian Pulisic, you know, kind of a light in this group is he is he balling yep. out how does Giorena look and then is it Josh Sargent and if so how does he operate as the nine is he dropping in is he staying high is he doing some of both how does he move in the box how does he press those kinds of things those are all things that I'm looking out for Wow. All right. I'm excited. I've written down five things to keep an eye on uh, for this game and obviously many, many more things to be discussed. One last thing, because it's always a talking point, and I just kind of want to give you the opportunity, Joe, to gloat when it happens. There will be some people who, similar to taking issue with me saying Legette should be even considered in the team, uh, will say, we uh, we said there's only two wide attacking options, but Eunice Musa is obviously a wide attacking option. Uh, if we see him just played central for both games. Are you just going to watch those games with your hands held above your head and vice versa? If we see him <laughs> wide, does the whole theory come crashing down? We won't see him wide. I would bet the farm on that <laughs> if I had a farm. But I just wrote I just wrote a piece, my first piece back for The Athletic. Um, it published yesterday mm-hmm. about Eunice Musa and why he's a better fit in the middle instead of out wide. So first of all, I'd encourage people to go listen to that. Taylor, you said As yesterday well. that we plug more things on today's show. I'm just I'm just fulfilling that, that prophecy yeah. from you. So go read that plug piece, away. but... He will be in the middle. I'm so excited to watch him. I honestly don't remember what you asked me about him, Taylor, but I will rejoice every minute we see him on the field in a central position (laughs) for the U.S. I think I mostly just wanted you to be able to plug uh, (laughs) your explanation for why he won't be playing wide but will be central. Uh, So I look forward to Eunice Musa on the right wing, Tim Ream on the left (laughs) wing, and it's all very confusing from there. Uh, Joe, I look forward to breaking this game down with you. I think we're going to be back Friday to talk about this game, to talk about uh, USA-Mexico in the uh, Olympic qualifying, the final game of the group stage. We're not going to do two separate shows for each game because I have a feeling that USA-Mexico game isn't going to matter all that much and we may even have a special guest with us on friday we shall see uh but for now anything else to add to this preview show for you for uh usa jamaica i'm excited and other than that nothing i got nothing else all right my friend i have nothing else either so i will just say joe thank you again for taking over an hour to preview uh jamaica and the united states i feel like we did 30 minutes on jamaica and a little bit longer on the u.s and that feels appropriate absolutely thank you for having me and uh it's always it's always a joy Yes, sir. Listeners, thank you all for listening. I hope it's always a joy for you all, and we will talk to you again very soon.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.